Our, uh, our sermon this morning is from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. This is as we continue our, our Hope for the Hurting series. We, we finished with Job and, and we're moving into the story of Jesus that we see in the book, that we see the book of Job continually pointing to. As we catch up with, with Jesus and his disciples in the book of John, uh, they have just been attending a huge feast in Bethany. This feast took place to celebrate Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is, is a pretty amazing thing, by the way, right? So, so we can imagine the hype train that is coming with Jesus at this point in time. The Jews have, have had a few people come along in their history that, herald, that, that are heralded as, as the one that would throw off the yoke of their oppressors, but none of those guys was raising the dead. People are pumped. People are super excited, and now Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and and that is where we pick up with the story in our text this morning, where we read John 12, 12 to 19. Let's read the word of the Lord together. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In a sense, the reading, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. The initial shock to the system brought on by the need to socially distance ourselves from the rest of the world is over. When we first got the word, when we first heard, when we were first told that we should limit how often we, uh, we leave our houses and how often we, we see other people, there were things that we needed to be taken care of, right? We've got to run to the store and make sure that we have the food that we need so that we don't have to go out very much. We've we got to figure out what work is going to look like, what school for the kids is going to look like, what, what church is going to look like. Basically, everything in life was affected, and we had to figure out what the new normal was going to be for this time of social distancing. And now we're a couple weeks in, and, and we, we've kind of got our groove. It may be a bit of a bumpy groove, but, but we've got our groove. Some of us hang out in pajamas, you know, all day long. Some of us get up, get dressed, take our shower, brush our teeth, act like it's a regular day of work. But instead of leaving the house we, to go to the office, we have to form a makeshift office at our house, at home. Some of us are able to continue to go to work like normal, but, but things aren't normal because there's a lot of people that aren't there and there's a lot of people not coming in. It's, it's just a different, it's a different world. We each, we each have had to adjust to a new normal. 
For some of us, that new normal is easier to accept than others. For some of us, are able to work from home or, or go to work. We're still employed. Some of us, you know, we don't have that option. We didn't have that option. And, and our company that we worked for is being affected pretty severely by the fallout of, of COVID-19. And so we're laid off. For some of us, school or teaching at home has been great. And for some of us, it's been really rough. It's been a struggle. Some of us prefer to go get our vitamin D from sources other than the sun. But for others, having parks closed and not being able to get out and about has, has been depressing. As I've been adjusting to my new normal, now that the initial shock to the system is over, I've, I've found myself asking a new question. I'm not overwhelmed by a, a scary new disease as much anymore. I understand what to do to avoid getting it. I, I know better how to pray for people. I'm, I'm better understanding what my job looks like during these times. But I'm also realizing that these times can't continue forever. We can't continue to live like this forever. And so the new question that I find myself asking is, how long? How long is this the new normal? How long will our country and our world be held hostage to this pandemic? How long will it take to flatten the curve? How long before we find a cure or an antidote, a vaccine? How long before people can go back to work? How long before I can hang out with my friends again? How long until life can go back to the way that it was? How long? How long? As we sit in that question, we find ourselves asking the same questions that our Israelite brothers and sisters were asking for generations. How long must we wait for the Messiah? How long before the promises made to our ancestors will finally be fulfilled? How long before we can be our our own nation, the nation that you promised us that we would be in? And we'll no longer have somebody else ruling over us. And they believe that here comes their answer. Riding into Jerusalem. This, this guy just raised a man from the dead. This is our guy, right? This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the time. This is the time. This is it. And so, and so a crowd gathers to meet Jesus at the gates. And they're, they're waving Palm branches, branches that signify goodness, well-being, grandeur, steadfastness, and most importantly, victory. Palm branches were regarded as tokens of joy and triumph. Kings and conquerors were welcomed with palm branches strewn before them and waved in the air. And so the people of Israel greeted Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. Hosanna! The people cried, Hosanna, and Hosanna means save us. Save us now. The people were tired of asking the question, how long? They had their answer in this man who could raise the dead, and so they welcomed him. They welcomed him like a king, and they begged for immediate justification. Hosanna, save us now. Now is the time. And then they followed it up with, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a quote from Psalm 118, verse 26. For years, these verses in Psalm 118 were used as entrance liturgy, as people would would enter into Jerusalem and, and make their way to the temple to worship. They would recite the words of this psalm. 
A psalm that praises God for his steadfast love. A psalm that that praises God for his plan and for his promises. A psalm that looks to the future when God will make things right. And now here they are, watching the answer to this prayer, the answer to the promises ride through the gates. Man, what a time to be alive. How exciting. And yet as we look back at this this joyous celebration, this triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and, and the response of the crowd, the response of the people, we look back with the knowledge of what comes next. We know that Jesus is is not a king in the way that the people were expecting him to be a king. He did not come to free them from the influence of the control of Rome. He did not come to establish a a Jewish state. His his purpose, his mission of freedom was on a a much grander scale than to serve the purposes of a singular people group at a set point in time. Jesus came to fulfill the covenant God made with Abraham. Jesus came to justify the faith of Job. Jesus came to set right what had been broken in the fall. Jesus came to fulfill the promise that God made to Eve and to Adam in the garden. Jesus came to conquer. But he didn't come to conquer nations. He came to redeem nations. No, he came to conquer sin and death. He came to bridge the gap between man and God. He came so that through faith in him, we might be reconciled to God, that we might have a relationship with God. That through faith in him, we could stand before God righteous. That we could stand before God without the stain of sin. This is an incredibly astonishing, mind-blowing reason to celebrate. There can be no bigger reason to celebrate. And yet this is not what the people were celebrating. This is not what they had anticipated. They they couldn't wrap their minds around this. This This isn't what they wanted. And so they are incredibly disappointed and crushed when a few days after this celebration, this triumphant entry... The one who was to save them was hanging dead on a tree, hanging dead on a cross. They were disappointed in the king that they got because they didn't really realize what kind of king they needed. They were so blinded, so consumed by their physical wants, the expectations of what being saved meant for them in the, in the here and the now that, that there wasn't even a consideration that, that Jesus, the, the promised Messiah, would possibly come to do something other than meet their demands. They couldn't comprehend that maybe they had misunderstood the prophets, that maybe the Messiah wasn't coming to free them from physical bondage. They were so invested in in keeping Jesus in in the box of their expectations that that they couldn't comprehend the possibility that Jesus was actually there to meet a deeper, more intimate need, an eternal need. The need that each of us has to be reconciled with God. Can you relate to the people in the streets waving their palm branches and shouting, Save us now. Save us now. 
On some level, I think each of us wishes that God would express his love and his power in our lives in the ways that we want him to express them. Some of us think, man, it would be nice if God would just, you know, safeguard my job. If, if God would make it so that I, I wouldn't get laid off and so, so I can know that I'd be okay financially. While others are thinking, you know, I would just like a job, man. God, help me find a way to make money and support myself and my family. Some of us are struggling in other areas thinking, man, it would be nice if God would defeat the frailty of my body, right? You know, I don't, I don't want to have to live with pain. I don't want to have to think about the surgeries that are on the horizon. I don't want to have to fear getting cancer or my loved ones getting cancer or COVID or Alzheimer's or dementia or, you know, fill in the blank. As I personally think of that, I have wished and prayed on many occasions that God would take my skin issues, right? <laughs> I've been pretty hesitant even to use a high-def camera while, while streaming because it's embarrassing for me that you guys can see in such better detail the darkness under my eyes and the irritation on my forehead and around my mouth. Why do I have to live with these things? Why can't they just be taken? God, don't you care? Don't you care? The one who has the power to raise the dead surely has the power to take care of something so trivial. Some of us, some of us want relief from a past that haunts us. Some of us want answers, reasons about a past that hurts us. Some of us want to be free from depression and anxiety. Some of us want to have the burden of our temptations removed, right? Like, I don't want to want what I want. Can I just not want what I want? Please. And as we sit in our houses getting depressed by the news and lonely for our friends, our families, our favorite restaurants, our escapes, our parks, our walks, our church family, and for the ways that things used to be, you know, and we worry about our jobs and the economic crisis that has already begun and how this will affect life as we know it, we raise our eyes to the heavens and we ask, how long, Lord? How long until all of this is over? How long before you use your power in the way that we want you to use your power? How long until you meet our expectations? And how does God respond? How does God respond to us? How does he respond to the crowd in our text this morning? Fear not. Fear not, says our God. And here's one of the things that is so absolutely mind-blowing about this response. He didn't say it while they were waving the palm branches. He didn't say it while he was making this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. No, he said it through the voice of the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years earlier. Fear not, God said through the lips of the prophet. I know this isn't what you were expecting. I know that you want a king, a victor who will meet the expectations that you have been harboring and that you have been growing through the years. You want a king that enters with an army and on a war horse. And yet here I come with my disciples 
on a baby donkey. But fear not. Have peace. Rest in the truth that though I don't meet your expectations, I am here to take care of your needs. God knew how the people would be feeling. He knew it at the beginning of time. He knew it when he made the promise to Adam and Eve. He knew it as he gave the words to his prophet Zechariah. And he knew it as he was approaching Jerusalem on the colt. And he, just as he knows it now as we sit in a world held hostage by COVID-19. He knew that his approach to the problems of the world would not meet the expectations of the people in that world. But God's purpose, his intent, is not centered around meeting our expectations. And what a blessing that is for us. That God does not limit himself to our expectations of him. For make no mistake, though he was not on a war horse, though he was not accompanied by legions of warriors, though he did not meet the expectations of the crowd, the king entered Jerusalem that day. And in his coming, he answered the call of Hosanna, for he came to save. In the space of the next few days, he would be betrayed and abandoned by his friends. He would drink from the cup of God's wrath. He would be beaten, whipped, and embarrassed. He'd be put on trial, and the jury would be rigged. He'd be forced to carry the instrument of his death through the city and up a hill where he would be nailed to this cross and he would die the shameful and painful death of crucifixion. And though on the surface, I mean, this looks like a failed mission, right? This seems to define it. It was anything but, for this was the plan. This had always been the plan. Jesus drank from the cup of wrath and in so doing, he took God's wrath in our place. When he walked up that hill carrying that cross, he was doing it in our place. And when he died, he died for our sin and in our place. All of this so that our sin could be forgiven. All of this so that we could have a relationship with God again in the way that he always intended to have a relationship with us. We don't have to live in fear of how God feels towards us because he has proven his love for us in the sending of Jesus Christ. On Christ, he poured out his wrath and all that he has left for us is love. And though we broke creation with our sin, though our sins set in motion the events that have us calling out, How long, Lord? Know that God is creating a new world where everything will be set right and will never fail. Where things can never be broken again. Fear not, God said through the lips of the prophet Zechariah to the people in Jerusalem those many years ago. And fear not, God says to his people sheltering in their houses today. Though creation crumbles around us, though sickness and disease rise against us, though the earth trembles and the winds wave and roar, God tells us to fear not, for he is the king and we are his. The entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem 
is one for not just the Jewish people to be celebrating, but for all people, for all time to celebrate and to take joy and comfort in. The King has come. And there will be victory. And so in Jesus, there is hope for the hurting. Amen.